Hello team and welcome to episode 25 of the Food Safety University podcast. I'm your guest host, David Zarling, Senior Associate with Dirgo Food Safety. And in today's episode, we're going to continue into our mini-series, The New Plant Manager. This will be part three, where we take a focused look at how to intentionally and quickly audit your facility's existing operations program. This will allow you to hit the ground running as a new plant manager or as an existing manager who would like to update and overhaul their existing programming. So stay tuned for some great detailed information. Welcome to the Food Safety University podcast presented by Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele of Dirigo Food Safety. Tune in to learn food safety in plain English. We will break down the ins and outs of the food code, HACCP plans, you name it. We make food safety simple, easy, and even fun. Hey everyone, welcome to part three of Food Safety University's new plant manager mini-series where we're taking a look at what it takes to hit the ground running as a new plant manager or an existing manager that wants to roll out a more updated and profitable management program. Uh, last week, we took a look at the organizational audit. So basically, when you step into these roles, we have to know what it is that we're managing, right? And then we also have to know how we know we're being successful. We have to uh, develop KPIs or key performance indicators or data that tells us that we're doing a good job uh, based on the programs and the production and and various other factors throughout the facility. And now this, you know, when we talk about these things, it, it does sound very manufacturing focused. However, um, I think that this is a, a really applicable uh, program for a business of any size, it could be a small vegetable operation, it could be a livestock uh, ranch, it could be a, maybe a cottage food or, or commercial kitchen uh, producer, it could be for anybody. And it, ultimately what we want is to know uh, what it is that we're managing and how to tell if we're doing a good job. And so when we step into these new roles, we do a quick audit of what is already existing for programs at the plant. We identify the gap between what there is and what there should be, and then we create the programs uh, in order to close that gap. Again, if you missed last week's episode, we took a deeper dive into the organizational gap analysis where we examined whether or not the facility has job descriptions for every position in the business, the organizational chart and the reporting structure, the employee onboarding program and employee handbook, you know, do we have policies? Do we, are we able to set accountability uh, on both sides from management and the team uh, when it comes to things like attendance and, and GMPs and expectations in general? And uh, there's a lot to learn there. So if you, or, or to discuss, you know, so if you missed that from last week, please take a listen and then uh, listen to this one. Um, and before we dive into the content for this week, I wanted to tell you about an exciting event that's coming up uh, May 21st through the 23rd in Litchfield, Ohio, about an hour, an hour away, hour-ish away from Cleveland, uh, where Deergo Food Safety is based. And uh, Deergo's, uh, one of their partners is Griffin Farms, a regenerative farm 
right in the middle of the country, and they're going to be hosting a really exciting uh, weekend workshop conference hybrid where uh, they're going to basically be taking a look at uh, regional agriculture right in the center of the country, uh, the culinary arts, you know, American made goods and kind of cutting edge tech when it comes to agriculture. So, you know, you're going to be able to take part in uh, some, some butchery demos and discussions. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of culinary preparation and, and discussions around food with chefs. Uh, there's going to be some cooking competitions. There's going to be uh, multiple outdoor activities, you know, I I've seen there's going to be a crossbow training and fly fishing training and um, a lot of a lot of great food, a lot of local drink, you know, and it's going to be just a just a celebration of food that's produced in the heartlands, and uh, we're really excited about it. So you can find more information there um, on wwof.us. You find out more information about the event itself, but I think it's going to be really fun. I'm going to be there. Dr. P is going to be there. We're going to be giving some uh, some talks and doing some demos, and there's going to be just some really cool professionals and, and uh, great thinkers that are going to be participating in presentations. So, uh, yeah, please join us for that. If you have any other questions about that, please uh, hit up Dr. P or I on our emails, which I'll share at the end of uh, the segment here. So moving on, let's take this dive into the operational gap analysis. So what we want to do here is, you know, when you get into a plant or, or when you really get the wild hair to overhaul your operation system as an existing manager, it's really, it's the low hanging fruit to just dive in and start watching the actual operation and saying, okay, this could be faster. This could be different. This could be a step less. You know, it's really easy to hone in on efficiency uh, nickels and dimes. And I think that that's a, a great place to get to, but to get started, you really have to, uh, audit what you already have. And you may already do that. You may have a fantastic, uh, validation program or internal audit program, but nine out of 10 plants or businesses or production units, whatever it may be that I work with do not have all of their SOPs and prerequisite programs validated, and they do not have an, a, a robust internal audit program to, con, you know, to really support their process of continual improvement. Um, so that you're always auditing your programs on a revolving schedule to make sure that you are doing exactly what you say that you're doing. Um, and just as an aside, if you hear some squeaking in the background, we're having a just a, a delightful windstorm here in Washington, <laughs> and uh, that's my that's that's my uh, walnut tree scraping up against my window. So, yeah, thank you <laughs> for the grace. So as we dive into this audit, uh, we're going to take a look at splitting the operations segment. Of our, of our management program into two categories, two categories that are uh, familiar to all of us. If you've listened to Dr. P's podcast in the, in the past, uh, you know that she takes a look through a lens of people, process, and facility, uh, or a, a, you know, a couple of variations on that depending on the subject matter. And so we're going to take this, org, this uh, operational piece and split it into two categories, process which has everything to do with your product and making it and what goes into making it, and then facilities. And that has to do with uh, 
not just the actual structure of the place itself, but but ultimately it's your assets, you know, um, or your physical assets. It's it's equipment. It's the the grounds that your facility's on. It's the building itself. Uh, you know, we include um, a lot of safety in the facilities part, but the safety audit is going to be a separate part of our of our ongoing series here. So uh, today we're going to talk about the facilities category, and this is one of my favorite ones because there's so much uh, money left on the table when it comes to managing your facilities and getting an ROI on your current equipment and, um, you know, quite frankly, not managing from a place of emergency reactivity when it comes to your facility and equipment. We want to avoid that at all costs. And so we're going to go through and see what you actually have as far as facilities programs. Now, when we talk about programs, and you may be familiar with this if you're in Food Safety University currently, if not, when we talk about programs, a program ultimately has several different components, okay? And the components that we're uh, looking for in a, in a complete and robust program, you know, you're going to have SOPs, uh, you may have prerequisite programs uh, to make the, the, the larger program work, you're going to have SSOPs, you're going to have uh, policy that comes as a result of a risk analysis, and I'll give you some context in a minute. Uh, you're going to have, to accompany the SOP, work instructions, because we talked about this in, in a previous segment. So many times we write SOPs, and when do we write SOPs? We write them when there's anything that happens in your business that happens again and again, and that you want to be a certain way, and that you would have to train someone on. So SOPs, you know, delegate accountability. They talk about frequency of the task, how we're going to monitor it and verify that it's working, who's responsible, what documents are generated. You know, that's an SOP. But we also want, uh, because oftentimes SOPs read um, for for managers or executives, so we or or auditors. So we want we also want to include a section in our SOPs called work instructions. And this is the most important part because SOPs should be training documents. You should be able to hand one to a new team member and say, okay, this is the thing that you're responsible for and here's all the details about it. And that includes really easy to follow, easy to understand with context work instructions. You know, a great example of this is if you look at the product specs and the NAMP guide, the North American Meat Producers Meat Buyers Guide, it's kind of the gold standard for ordering meat in the country. And there, for every item, uh, there's an item code and there's also a specification. And the specifications as written in the Meat Buyers Guide are pretty heady, right? I mean, there's like a lot of anatomical and uh, terminology in there and things that, you know, Dr. P can read uh, fluently, but even I have, you know, need to look up some of the the more medical terms in there. And so, um, we don't want to write our SOPs like that. We want to write, you know, if I if I'm going to have a cutter cut me a chuck roll, I'm not going to give them the spec from the North American Meat Producers Meat Buyers Guide. I'm going to give them a work instruction that explains how to cut a chuck roll. Right, that's what we're looking for in our SOPs. Um, a program is also going to list what documents are generated by just the program existing. Uh, for instance, your pest control program, you're going to have documents, a, you know, a verification document where you go to make sure that your pest control 
uh, implements are where they're supposed to be. Um, and then we're also going to talk about verification and calibration for each program. You want that to be in there. Uh, that's how we make sure that it's that we're doing what we say we're doing and making sure that people are performing their jobs according to any SOPs complaint, uh, contained in the program. And then we also have calibration of the monitoring or verification devices, right? Because if uh, the way that we know that our smoker, our, our, our cook cycle SOP is working, uh, we're, you know, we have a data logger in the smoker making sure that the smoker is doing what the program says it's doing. We have to calibrate that thermometer. How do we know that we're getting the correct readings? You know, and, and there's a lot of things to calibrate in a plant. Um, so that's something that we need to line out. So we're going to take a look at these programs. And uh, these programs, again, could be SOPs, but they're generally going to be a prerequisite program that's in place in order to control hazards throughout the plant and to make them not reasonably likely to occur. And so some of the programs that you might see in a facility audit, right, because, um, again, we're, we're having control of our facility uh, in a preventative way, in a proactive way, so that we are eliminating the need to uh, manage from a, a reactive standpoint in an emergency frame of mind where we're fighting fires and... Um, getting into that sort of fight or flight management style, which many of us have been in and it sucks and, and we want to avoid it. So, so that's why we're doing this again. So we're taking a look at uh, the facility programming and there's a whole slew of them. There really are. When you join Food Safety University, you get all of these programs in a, in a giant packet uh, that are kind of pre-written and then you customize them for your facility. And there's, there's a lot of them, you know, um, but it's incredibly important that we have these because these prerequisite programs, again, uh, make our HACCP plan much easier to write. And we'll talk about that when we get to the process side of the facility audit. Um, so some of the programs that you'll see in a, in a facility side of the operational program are going to be things like biosecurity slash food fraud. Why do we have a food fraud prerequisite program? Okay, it may sound slightly alarmist, but uh, food fraud, you know, is, is how we guarantee that a customer's food is safe and that the supply chain is secure. You may have a small custom exempt processing facility or a small commercial kitchen that you rent, right? Let's say you're working out of a commissary kitchen and you're processing meat for meat bundles for direct-to-consumer sales, and you have a shared food storage uh, walk-in cooler and freezer. How can you guarantee to yourself and your customers and your local inspector that your food is segregated from other producers, it's safe, no one's taking your ingredients, no one's stealing you know, your meat because they're helping themselves or accidentally, maybe they, maybe they load up a case of your product in this shared space. Um, or maybe, like I said, maybe you've got a custom exempt facility on your farm, like a small, uh, processing space and cold storage. I mean, let's face it. I've had farm equipment stolen multiple times, even in the safest of communities where you don't lock your doors. It happens folks, you know, it just happens. And how can you guarantee your customer that you know, when you process their beef that you sold to them under custom exemption, uh, that all of their product is going to be safe while you store it um, before they pick it up, 
right? And so we have a, a prerequisite program about biosecurity and food fraud where we talk about the security of our facility or the security of the food. And it oftentimes can uh, include, but of course not be limited to, um, you know, I've seen camera systems be uh, part of this program. I've seen, uh, you know, it's it's lining out what every man door and uh, receiving door has as far as locks and security or alarm systems. You know, I've got one client that has a small processing facility on farm for value-added items out of a vegetable program, and part of their food defense program is livestock guard dogs. They're just on the facility, and and uh, they're on the grounds at all times, and nobody could could ever get into steal a case of pesto with those dogs there, right? Um, those those are the sorts of things that we implement that are really practical, um, and so. It's just a way of, of uh, again, explaining how you keep your food safe. So you've got the SOP. The SOP contains all of the different ways that you're going to control your food security. And then you're going to have the risk analysis. What is the true risk? The risk in a shared commissary kitchen space in downtown Chicago is much, much higher than a padlocked shipping container uh, freezer unit where I live out in the middle of nowhere in Washington. It's a, it's a totally different uh, risk analysis outcome. So we do the risk analysis. We create a policy from that risk. Um, a risk analysis matrix is really is a really great tool. It's a four-box matrix that uh, Dr. P uses when um, determining the risk of a certain situation. And if you're curious about that, uh, tune into any of the videos that Dr. P has done about risk analysis for more detail there. Um, once we've got the risk analysis, the policy and the SOP, we've got the work instructions, uh, how we perhaps maintain those items or where they go or how we operate them on a daily basis. You know, do we set the alarm before we go? Do we have a, a work instructions for a... Um, audit at the end of every production day where we check all of the doors and the locks, you know, and then we have a verification where we uh, explain how often we're going to check these systems to make sure they're functioning. And then if there's any sort of calibration, you know, we, we may need to uh, calibrate a camera system once in a while or download a new software or something like that, you know, so that's what we line out there. Another program that's found under the facility side of the house is going to be pest control. It doesn't matter what kind of facility you've got going. It could be a fresh vegetable wash and pack, uh, but you most definitely want to document your pest control program, and that could be a number of things. You know, I've worked in facilities where it's mouse traps, where it's live traps, where it is, uh, you know, having the exterminator come once a month, every quarterly, what have you. There's so many different ways to control for pests in a facility, and we want to again. Uh, analyze the risk, you know, the risk for pests in a suburban standalone brand new facility is pretty low as opposed to maybe where I live, you know, we're going to turn the tables on this example where I live, there's <laughs> in the middle of nowhere and there's lots of ground squirrels and, and voles and shrews and mice. And so, um, perhaps my risk is higher in a, in a more rural setting for pests. So we're going to do a risk analysis. We're going to create a policy, how we're going to control for the pest risk. 
We're going to write an SOP that includes all of the things that we do to control for the pest, who's responsible, how often we're going to check them, what documents are generated. We're going to include work instructions because we have to know who and how this work is actually going to get done. We're going to talk about uh, how we know we're doing a good job. You know, we're going to have a log of occurrences. And then we're going to tell how we're going to verify it and calibrate anything. There may be no calibration with this one, but it's still something to consider. Another, and, and this is really like the big elephant in the room. This is the, probably the, the most robust and thorough and, and comprehensive of the facilities-based programs is the preventative maintenance program. And, and we will eventually do, you know, Dr. P has some great episodes or, or uh, you know, Facebook Lives on preventative maintenance. Um, I know that we'll touch on it again we consider preventative maintenance to be as important as a corrective actions program. I mean, it's one of the foundational elements of a facilities program uh, in order to manage for quality and profit. And preventative maintenance is all about staying ahead of things, extending uh, the return on investment that you have, and, and really making sure that you stay away from, again, that reactive uh, firefighting management style. I can't tell you, you know, I've managed a couple of small plants that both happen to be on farms, run by farmers, and uh, because of the workload, the r- diversified workload of the farmers, you know, preventative maintenance wasn't something that we quote unquote had time for. So when the bandsaw broke down, I had to call the farmer. He would generally get off his tractor, or get out of the field or out of the barn. He'd have to change his clothes. He'd have to go home and shower, change his clothes, come to the plant, smock up, come in, dis- you know. The whole process of getting something repaired was reactive and super time-consuming. So it was it was common for a bandsaw or a grinder to go down, and then we would lose four, five, six, 24, 48 hours uh, on downtime because of waiting for things to be repaired. Um, and a lot of times, you know, with the bandsaw, a preventative maintenance program uh, that went through and made sure we were, you know... Um, lubricating things correctly or sealing, uh, you know, volatile compartments or whatever it may be, you know, um, things like that would have gone a long way towards keeping us productive and making money uh, during, you know, production hours. And so what we do for that program, just in a nutshell, because, you know, this, we could do three episodes on this one, but you have a risk analysis. And if you have equipment, there's a risk. I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, someone may say, well, all my equipment's new, so the risk is really quite low, but the risk grows. And so it's important for us to just, you know, start as we, be, as we plan to continue. And so when we, whether we have new equipment or old equipment, we need to uh, assess that risk as if, the, as if it exists. Then we move to a policy, and we talk about what we're going to do. Then we move to an SOP, and the SOP here and the work instructions are very intertwined. Um, because there's only one version of, of both. Uh, they, they are shared. And with a preventative maintenance program, we're talking about a calendar that's based off of manufacturer's recommended instructions for maintenance. Okay, so we're going to know exactly what days we're going to do what or what days we're going to check operational hours on a machine to see uh, how close we are to needing that oil change Okay, or that yearly checkup. Then we're going to populate 
uh, equipment binders where we're going to download and print out every piece of information that we can get, including an inventory spare parts list, anything that the manufacturer has recommended, any emails from the manufacturer about recommended preventative maintenance. We're going to have it all in that file, and then we're going to have a log that shows how often we have maintained it and who did it and on what day and at what time and any, and any devi- deviations from what we expect. And then uh, once we have that, we're also we're going to tie the calendar to that binder, and we're going to make sure that we have a program that that uh, is on just a rolling, um, a rolling schedule. That throughout the year we're just con- it's it's not oh we do we front load the year with all of our PMs. It's just it's constantly going. You know it's it's the oil changes, the uh, filters on the smoker, the um, you know, we're checking the water fittings on the vegetable washer in the wash and pack station. You know, we're there's all of these different things that we're doing. Um, those go into the preventative maintenance program, and it's 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 very time consuming to put it together, but it's incredibly rewarding because it does it for you. Because once you know, once you populate that cal- your Google Calendar, you just get a notification in the morning. You get a notification three days before. Hey, in three days, you're going to perform this task on this machine. Get ready. Make sure you got the tools right. Uh, or call the company if you have any questions. And, and it's a really awesome thing to keep you profitable and in production with minimizing downtime. Because as we know, uh, downtime is, is, a, is a, one of the uh, wastes when we're looking at lean manufacturing. And, and lean manufacturing, can those principles can apply to accrue two people, to be honest. And uh, yeah, so um, those are just a, a small sample of some of the programs that go under the facilities side of the operational gap analysis. We want to see what we have versus what we should have and then create those programs and get them in place as quickly as possible. But while we're auditing and doing the gap analysis, we're also taking a look at those SOPs that may already exist to see if we're actually doing them the way that we say that we're doing them. Because even if we're not under USDA or FDA inspection, if we have a set of policies and procedures and work instructions and we're not doing them the way that we say we are, we either need to retrain or we need to update those work instructions, right? Because if they're not accurate, then they're absolutely useless as a training document or a a source of accountability when it comes to, uh, you know, company culture building. If you'd like to know more about the remaining programs in the facility side of the operational gap audit, um, drop me a line and let's talk about Food Safety University. Uh, Because when you join that program, you get the entire suite of programs that are pre-populated and written with supporting documentation and 90-day validation programs, as well as the risk analysis. You know, that's one of the cool things. Dr. P put together a risk analysis and policy uh, program for each one of these prerequisite programs and SOPs. And uh, it's all of the heavy lifting is done. So if you have any questions about these, drop me a line at Deer- David at Deerago Food Safety or Dr. P, uh, Michelle at Deerago Food Safety and give us a shout. And, and uh, if you perform a gap analysis on your own facility and, and you see some opportunities there, reach out and we can see how we can give you a hand. So Um, Next week, we're going to be talking about the process side, and this may be a two-parter because there's so much that goes into it, but it's it's the food safety plan and all of the prerequisite programs and SOPs that go into making your product. And uh, if you have any questions, please, again, reach out to us. And until next time, 
Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button and check us out at foodsafetyuniversity.com. We have free food safety guides waiting for you. See you next time.